Today's episode features Dominic, an energetic visual artist constantly in motion. His curious spirit pushes his limits. Adventure and stimulation is food for his soul. He lives the kind of excitement that might strike terror in others, but Dominic's path lies in seeking the thrill of it all. Just don't tell his mom where he's going next. Here we go. Hey. Dominic. Hi. Hello, friends. How are you guys doing? Good. Let me officially welcome you to Boom Talk Media Recording Studio. We're so happy, Dominic, and really thankful. Synchronistic things that has happened in my life, running into you again at Safeway at the checkout, and not being able to separate because we had so much to chat about and catch up on. And we're both so delighted to see you. And just want to give you a little refresher as to what we're doing. Uh, we are we are working on a new book, and the book is going to be about life's pathways and the crossroads and the twists and turns, and particularly you know those moments where um, sometimes the path is not determined by you, but it is thrown upon you. So uh, two different types of pathways. But we wanted to talk to you because one, you have wonderful energy, and we really appreciate you in our lives. And also because you've been on this journey. We want to talk to you about your life as a whole, but specifically how you're maneuvering, how you're traversing the paths at this time. Fantastic. That's great. Well, you know, and when you mentioned this to me, well, when we were talking in the line at the Safeway, something like this happened to me about 20 years ago, 22 years ago, and it's kind of happening right now at the same time. And there, there are definite parallels. And um, so, you know, I have stories that are probably like other people. I've had this crossroads forced on me in my life. Like I'm a child of divorce when I was 13 and 14, my folks got divorced and that changed the direction of my life. And I've had some other things happen, but I think these two stories um, that kind of involve a sabbatical year or like a peregrination are different than some other people's and maybe a little more interesting. So that's probably what we should, what we should talk about. So I was, um, so I'm a photographer and I shoot for all different kinds of freelance um, clients, uh, architecture and photojournalism and a little bit of travel and this and that. So, but I started out uh, living in Seattle for about 10 years after I went to film school at USC, didn't want to live in Los Angeles. So I moved up to Seattle. I had grown up in Spokane, so I was pretty close to my family, but in a big city. And it was a cool time to be in Seattle because there was, everything was happening in Seattle. This was like 1993 through 2001. So the internet was exploding. Amazon was exploding. You know, um, grunge music was still kicking off. Everything was happening. And so I started taking photos for Seattle Weekly uh, when I moved up there. And that was, uh, and I was working in a photo lab and I was doing graveyard shift at some other places, but that was really the kickoff for me taking photos. And it was awesome because you would get to, they would give you assignments all around town and you'd get to shoot the chef at the restaurant, the, the, the sushi chef, or you would get to, 
you know, be at the car wash and meet all the people. Every day you were meeting a different crop of people that you would never have an excuse to meet otherwise. And you had instant VIP access to all these places um, for a couple hours. It was magic. And I met so many cool people. But one of the people that I met on that trip was um, Rick Steves. They did a story on Rick Steves. He's uh, a travel guru who has a show on PBS. And he's based up in Edmonds, Washington. So this is... Um, you know, this is before digital photography. I was shooting film and it was also essentially before the internet. So I didn't know Rick Steves. I didn't really do my due diligence. I thought he had a Mexican restaurant or something. It sounded <laughs> like a Mexican restaurant. Great. So I went up there and he was the nicest guy on the planet. And we walked around the block for an hour and I took 36 black and white photos, you know, on my T-Max um, uh, camera, roll film. And uh, so I started shooting for him. He was one of the clients. So in those years in Seattle, I had a lot of different cool clients and, um, and it was a great decade, but at, you know, as 2000 came Y2K and 2000, I was starting to get a little bit burned out. And I just, it was just like critical mass. I only had, well, I think when you start your own business, you always want to give 120%, you know, your, your own business is part of your identity. And so you have a hard time setting boundaries maybe. So it just was getting a little bit burned out and there was too much going on. And I had been dating someone for about four or five years and she took a mini sabbatical month to the Cook Islands. And this is at the beginning of 2001. I had just moved into a cool apartment on Lake Sammamish and um, I had a, a zillion jobs and they were all really interesting and satisfying. But she took this trip to the Cook Islands and she was living in a little rental apartment and the Cook Islands is part of New Zealand. It's a, it's a protectorate of New Zealand in the middle of the South Pacific. And, uh, and it's kind of like Hawaii, maybe 60 years ago. One road goes around the island. And she was working with the, um, her landlord, landlady. And she would go down every week to the farmer's market. And they would sell, you know, like fresh fruits and stuff that they'd grown in the, in the garden. And, and she, like the stories that I just heard from her from the road were so inspiring. It was completely the opposite life I was having in dreary, drudgy Seattle in January. You know, it was 38 degrees and raining every day. It felt like I was in Blade Runner. It was dark and brooding. And so, um, so I was just, you know, talking to her every day and, and jealous, but excited for her and just no noticing the difference in our lives at that moment. And she was planning to come back within a month or two. Well, Within two weeks, I got a knock on the door at this brand new apartment I just moved into. And uh, my landlords who lived in the house above me gave me notice and I just completely out of the blue and asked me to move out within two months. And it was nothing related to me. I think that their, the mother-in-law was going to move in and they were just having a different, their life is going a different direction. So all of a sudden I was like, oh my God, I got to pack up my entire life. I have to move to a new place at the end of February and I was feeling burned out and I was feeling all these different emotions. And the person I was dating was on the opposite side of the planet. I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna, this is a sign from the universe. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put everything in storage. I'm gonna pack up and I'm gonna go busk on the road like Danica's is doing. And everyone in Seattle told me, every single person I had, every friend, every client was like, this is the worst thing you could ever do. You're going to lose all of your connections. You've got this momentum built with your business. You're gonna lose you know, connections, people are going to forget about you within six months. They're going to go to somebody else. But my spidey sense told me that this was the right thing to do. And every morning when I would wake up, it was the only thing I could think about, you know. Um, so I, I did that. I, I took about six weeks. I put everything in storage at SeaTac. 
and I booked a one-way ticket. We had a big earthquake in Seattle um, this February. That was another sign. We had like a seven-point something earthquake that brought down a couple of buildings in Pioneer Square. That was one of my last shoots. We shot a guy dressed as Elvis on the, on the brick remains of one of the buildings that went down, and it was called Shake, Rattle, and Roll for a cover of a magazine. And uh, it was when I was buying the ticket to Australia that the earthquake hit. I'm like, okay, this is a, I think this is a good wow. sign. <laughs> wow. I like earthquakes, yeah. I love out of the blue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a sign yeah. from the fates. Yes, yes. So, uh, so I booked this ticket and I took off and, and uh, Danica went to New Zealand and she busked for about a month there. And then she met me in um, uh, Melbourne and there was no plan. The plan was, was no plan, right? All we knew was that in Australia, most people, there are car markets in each of the cities around on the edge of the continent, Sydney and, and uh, Melbourne and Perth. So you buy a car at the car market and then you drive it for, you know, across the desert and then you sell it on the opposite side of the planet. So the first week in Melbourne, we found a uh, Daihatsu Delta camper van that had a gas tank and a propane tank. So you could just blow for 600 miles across the desert without having to stop, which is great because in the outback, there's some places where there's not another ranch with gasoline for 200 miles. So, and, uh, and we called it the succubus <laughs> <laughs> and we spent the next six or seven months just wandering across the outback straight up north to Alice Springs, climbing around at um, Ayers Rock and uh, Katajuta there. And then up to Darwin, we actually spent the most amount of time in Darwin, um, about two months up there. And we worked a little bit under the table. You know, you're not, you're officially not supposed to be working. You get a tourist visa, um, but everybody takes the odd job here and there, whether you're doing demolition. Or, Danica got a fantastic job building. She, the first day we pulled into Darwin, she met an architect who was uh, doing a mosaic of the history of Darwin, one meter by 20 meters. Uh, in downtown on uh, Pesajata. And so she spent a couple months working on this multimedia tile kind of photography exhibit. And I would be, you know, doing demolition and driving out to the landfill, hanging out with 40 dingoes every day at sunset. Um, but just you know, things worked out magically. We met amazing people on the trip. When I came back at the end, we didn't, we didn't actually, our relationship actually didn't survive the trip, unfortunately. <laughs> That's what I wanted to ask you when you were done with this particular story, but keep going. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, the first time you live with someone, Bibi, don't do it in a car. Right. Yes. Because every issue that you have, you know, you're going to have in a 1500 square foot apartment is going to be exacerbated times 4,000 in a van. Yes. Yes. So we discovered that. Plus, you're driving when you're in the outback, you're driving 10 hours to get to the next caravan park. There's nothing. You don't see a building for, you know, 150 miles. So then you get so you're together in the car all day long and you get to the caravan park. You're cooking dinner in the van. You know, you're sleeping in the van. You have about 12 minutes separate every day when you're, you know, shaving. <laughs> so it was intense, but we're still fantastic friends and actually she just joined me on this on this most recent motorcycle trip too. So we our friendship remained. But the trip was just so serendipitous and, and magical. And, and you know, coming back at, at the end of it, well, there's one cool thing that happened that I'll tell you at the very end. But coming back at, at the end of it, I continued tra traveling in Southeast Asia and I did a month in Cambodia and a month in Thailand and ended in Japan. And um, coming back, everything 
all of the all the you know pressure and the tension and the jadedness and feeling burned out was completely wiped away like it was a blank slate when I came back home because I was totally reinvigorated at that moment in my life with travel and shooting travel imagery. And so my career kind of took a different direction after I came back home. And all of the clients that everybody said that I would lose picked right back up. They were, everybody wanted to hear the story. Everybody wanted to see photos from the opposite side of the planet, from where the map ends and mm -hmm. here there be dragons. Like mm -hmm. every, everyone was interested and it just reinvigorated my business for the next 10 years. And how long were you on this trip? What was the total time? I left in uh, May of 2001. And so we were on the road when September 11th hit. I remember we were in Bali that week. And, uh, and I came back, uh, I would say, March of uh, 2022. So almost a year. Although I continued that in 2022, I did about four months in Central America. I had a friend in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. So I did about another four months. So a little more than a year total. So introspective question yes about the qualities within you that enabled you to let go to change course to make decisions regardless of what kind of input was coming into you what if you had to evaluate your own qualities what what would they be how would you describe them hmm. well I, I think there was a tension at that time in myself that maybe there is less of now with this new trip. You know, going back to starting your own business, you, there's a, most of the, the photographers that I know and artists, professional artists, have to be pretty intuitive to other people in order to make things work. You know, when you're, if you're taking photos of someone and you've just met them, for 30 seconds, you have to create a rapport and you have to be empathetic and engaged with them and put them at ease. And so that is a great quality for, for running business, but it's not always a wonderful quality for being true to yourself. You know, you don't always set boundaries with, well, just the amount of hours that you work a week. You'll, you'll work on weekends and you'll give, you know, 120% of yourself. So I think and I would say that about myself at the time and some friends that I know that are professional photographers, we don't always listen to our own inner voice. But I think I was just starting to at that time. And maybe it was uh, you know, directly correlated to being burned out that I would listen to the Good point. my intuition. Yeah, yeah. It was just Survival. nation. Survival, instinct. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I think to becoming more authentically your own self, you know, that's a that's a lifelong process, right? And yes. when you're early twenties, you have a mask on a version of yourself that you hope, you know, you can survive out in the world or you hope looks good to other people, right? That's all of that is a mask. And then, I don't know, maybe when you have your midlife crisis, that mask is always slowly coming off during your lifetime, right? And hopefully at some point you're the most authentic version of yourself. So I think at that time I was just starting to listen to that voice. And I'm glad I did with that trip because it was it was a complete unknown. I didn't know what the, what the end game would be. It was like the blank rune. When you cast runes and there's a rune that has no symbol on it and it's the complete unknown, right? But you just have to trust the universe. Um, but it worked, out, it worked out so well that now looking back on it 20 years later, I wish I had done that more. I wish I'd done it every you know, seven years, every seven year itch instead of you know, having it been 20 years ago. But I would say, too, at the end of that, the, the last part that changed that trip that really <clears throat> was surprising 
was we, we had bought the camper van and we were in Melbourne and we were just, you know, remember this is, the, there were no smartphones, there, were no, there was no internet. So we had an old paper map and I'm driving a new car that has the steering wheel on the wrong side, the stick shift on the wrong side. And we're trying to get out of this megalopolis and Danica's, you know, looking at the paper map and we're trying to read the street signs. And we got lost in a part of Melbourne called Footscray, which is just a gorgeous, a gorgeous city name, Footscray. And we wandered through some, you know, a warehouse industrial part of town. And there was a giant sign for Lonely Planet. And Lonely Planet is one of the biggest travel books on, on, you know, on the globe. And it was started by a guy named Tony Wheeler and his wife back in the 70s. And I was like, what? I, I didn't realize they were even based there. So we stopped the car. I happened to have my portfolio with me. I just had 10 prints and a little book. And I, I told Danica, oh boy, you know, just give me like a half an hour. I just got to wander in here and see if I can meet someone. And it was so serendipitous. I hadn't planned anything. I had no appointment. And I walked into the lobby. I asked if there was a photo editor. They connected me with a guy named Phil, who was the kindest man on the planet. And he looked at my book. I told him about my journey. He was stoked about the trip. And at that point, I started shooting then also for Lonely Planet as a stock photographer. And so they would take my images and try to sell them for books or calendars or magazines um, over the next few years. And then eventually that led into, they were hiring for people to host um, a TV show about five or six years later. And they hired seven or eight of us authors and photographers to host a few seasons of travel shows. So the connect, looking back, you know, in retrospect, like all these random connections, it, it, there's a sensible line when I look back on it 20 years later, but at the time it just seemed like complete randomness. Would you call it life changing? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no, yeah. And, and I would say too, that I feel like there was a, you know, not to be too overly, you know, new agey about it, but I feel like there was a, a thread of connection there that I was tapping into that was looking out for me, you know, my best self. Because looking back, if I had tried to connect with, if I tried to cold call them, or if I tried to connect, you know, I might not have worked out the same. Like the serendipity of driving past and meeting this guy in this day, and this leads to this, like the domino effect of this one. It's like the butterfly flapping its wings, you know, in the South Pacific, and it creates a tornado in the Midwest. It's like, I could not have predicted the dominoes that would have fallen by that, the events that happened that one random day. When you speak to that, right, we talk about you taking on a path, you're following a path, but then the path changing you as you move along it, right? So as you let go of your tensions um, of being a photographer, being a business owner in mm. Seattle, it feels to me like a part of you inside got emptied out. And so with this emptiness, not in a negative way, but this emptiness, you were then able to fill it with those occurrences. It's like you open up the doors physically and said, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. Let's see what comes into me at this time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, maybe that's, well, I think there can be a, a prison in a way with being um, successful, not even successful, but just like in accomplishing even just with the job, you know, if you accomplish someone that something that you know you're good at and you're doing it for a set amount of years, then it becomes a routine in a way, right? Your your life calcifies in a way 
And then, you know, it, it's, it's easy and then other doors open and you might, but you might blink and then 30 years go by and you realize, oh, there were all these other opportunities that I didn't, you know, I, I, I manifested this aspect of myself, but maybe I'm not just this one thing, you know, maybe there are 17 other dimensions of myself that I could have explored. And so, I don't know, maybe sometimes the universe, you know, kind of kicks you in the head. The donkey kicks you in the head and forces you. I mean, that's it. When, when you get a sickness, right? It forces you to reprioritize your life. I, you know, fortunately there was nothing illness related, but I had some events that, that shook me a little bit and forced me to look in a different direction. And I'm so glad it did because I think that had I continued on that same path and the same thing I'm feeling right now, that I would be, um, yeah, I would just feel lesser. Like I wasn't living my best life. That's what I would say. And I don't know that I would have made that decision just myself unless maybe an external circumstance kicked me into that direction. Would you say that's part of your philosophy of life? Well, I, yeah, I would say that being open to, I, I would say being open to opportunities, right? I do think doors open for you in life. And if you don't go, you know, if you don't go through those doors, then doors start to close. You know, I think that, I think that you're given, well, every moment is a crossroads, right? And so you can always spoke out in 360 different directions from any moment. And if you have a view of life where you have blinders on and only these two degrees of the 360 degrees, only these two degrees you're open to, then I think your life is going to be much more limited than, but it's difficult, right? Because also you might choose the wrong thing. I mean, if you can go in infinite Absolutely. directions from any moment, Absolutely. you might not be choosing the right. So you really have to listen to that spidey sense. I, I, it's a little bit, I think, akin to that, just that split second, that millisecond uh, response that you viscerally have or emotionally have to something when you first look at it. It's like making a piece of art. It's nice to, if you're painting something or if you're Photoshopping a photo or welding something, it's good to step away from it for a little bit, right? You're too close to it. So you go, go to lunch or you go play some bocce ball, you go for a run with your dog, you come back. And when you first walk around the corner and you look at the thing again, what is that first millisecond reaction, positive or negative, or this needs to change. And usually that is the right response. I think that's a better guide. And you're talking about living with such strong intensity that building in that recovery so that you can really appreciate the intensity because as human beings, right, we accommodate to everything. We had, right. So we could even, even exciting intensity, we can just accommodate to unless we step away from it. And it sounds like that's one of the dynamics. Oh, that's very true. And, you know, true, especially I think for, well, probably any career, but, but especially artists too, when you're giving that level of intensity. For example, a friend of mine is friends with Dale Chihuly up in uh, Seattle, and we've taken his photos a few times and he is prolific, he is mythic. He's the best, you know, one of the best glass artists ever in history. But he, you know, his life is on a sine wave, you know, it's not, it's not consistent intensity. It's not always up here the whole time. He goes into a dormant phase yes. quite often for a few years where he's not producing so much and he's not very social. And then he comes out of the face, you know, it's a sine wave. And then for a, a year and a half, it's every day pouring glass and these ideas and it's just manifesting. I don't think you can maintain, no one can maintain that kind of intensity. It's not, it's not natural. You have to have some balance in your life. And, and 
when you're excited about something or when you when the universe is giving you abundance of jobs and clients, it's hard to step back, right? Yeah. You want to keep producing. Yes. And so sometimes then the universe forces you to with so, and you have to be open. So yes, and, and we want to encapsulate what it is you're saying because I think it's really important because don't forget, we're doing this so that other people are going to benefit from hearing your story. This episode is brought to you by Boom Talk Media. Our tiny books, which we call Releaflets, include the title Patience and Possibility. Ever wonder why simply slowing down can give you access to deeper creativity? You can learn all about it in this little booklet. So visit BoomTalkMedia.com or on Amazon under Patience and Possibility. Check it out. And then we'd love to hear from you. Reach us through info at boomtalkmedia.com. If you're looking online for a furry new family member, chances are good that you'll find a scam. Here are three tips to help avoid pet scams. First, don't trust the photo. Criminals set up fake websites that look legitimate but are really pictures they copied from the internet. Next, don't trust anyone who offers you a pet at a steep discount. Finally, before spending any money, make sure you can meet your new pet in person. Find out more tips on staying safe from scams at aarp.org fraudwatch. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Boom Talk Media. This is B.B. Peters with my co-host and friendly psychologist, Dr. Andrea Goldmarks. So, Danica, she, as a muse kind of figure, she enters your life again? Well, she has been a consistent, lifelong friend. We went to kindergarten together. Oh, oh my gosh. It's, it's like a Hallmark movie. It is. It's an after school special. So yes. And then we were in fourth grade together and, you know, she moved out of town, moved back into town. So in those Seattle years, we lived very close and we dated for those, for those times. And then, um, and then she moved to Hawaii and, but now we are great friends and she is an interior designer back in Seattle again. And so she, well, we both just had our 50th birthdays recently. So on oh, her happy 50th, birthday. Well, thank you. Grazie. So she, uh, so she wanted to do something for her special for her 50th. So she came and joined me on this most recent motorcycle trip. I happened to be cruising through the Yucatan on my current sabbatical year of peregrination. So we had a nice overlap of four or five days. Did a Native American, well, essentially a Mayan um sweat lodge out there and I had a couple of days on the bike and it was very it was cool it was cool to come full circle you know 20 years later so take us to then the time you came back from your about a year's worth of travels and then you did four months as well to other parts of the world and then did you go back into the groove of working 120 percent and creating things and working with people how did you go into that phase yes exactly and it was it was better well yeah it was even more intense speaking of intensity than before and it was better because i was re-inspired and reinvigorated we started doing a lot more travel jobs Rick Steves started hiring me, not just for one tour or two tours a summer, but sometimes it was four to six tours and each tour lasted two weeks. So it'd be best of Germany, best of Ireland, best of, you know, 
Slovenia. So I would be constantly on the move all summer. And then the Lonely Planet TV show started. And I thought, well, I had gone to film school. Maybe this is, you know, destiny that I parlay this into something with television and production. So we spent a few years shooting in Sri Lanka and Colombia and, and China. And we were kind of all over the globe with, with that. And I thought, oh, maybe this will, you know, develop into something else. Um, although I kind of just, I discovered that the, after doing that, and I'm glad I did it, that that was not necessarily my bag. It was a lot of stress. I had a lot of empathy for Anthony Bourdain is what I would say. <laughs> you yes. know, I feel like he, I feel like he was a version of the crossroads that went to a darker place. He just, he was constantly pr producing and he was constantly on the road. And I, I could understand, like, you just felt empty sometimes and you felt like you had to be creating and then you hadn't eaten in 12 hours and you had a stomach bug. And, you know, I, I was in a dark place a few times at the end of the planet and I could really relate with him. And I talked with Rick Steves about that too. And, you know, Rick Steves comment to me was that um, when he travels, Rick Steves is uh, a fairly, uh, a pretty Lutheran guy. So he's very grounded in his faith. So he said, you know, that really, and a lot of his, well, art, when he speaks about art, it's about a lot of the churches, you know, the amazing churches in Scandinavia and stuff. So he's very passionate about that, but that helps him ground out too. And he said he could relate with feeling burned out on the road too and giving too much and not having enough for yourself, but his faith helps him balance out. So when you um, hear him, when you hear him say things about how he stays grounded, what does it elicit in you in terms of your choice your ways of staying grounded in that high intensity whirlwind that you create? Well, I mean, uh, you know, when I, when I'm in the whirlwind, there's not enough time. The problem is there's never enough time for yourself. So it would be simple things for me, like going, well, I live here in Tucson, Arizona. So going through, you know, a, a run in the river wash with my dog or, you know, hiking up to finger rock, you know, in the Catalinas, but those are, those are, finite things right i might only get to that once a week or something i don't know maybe maybe i have a level of intensity i'm very italian and i am you know usually running at all eight cylinders so maybe just like chihuly i need to go you know a long sine wave where i'm like off completely and then on it seems to work out better for me i i get to a critical mass boiling point and i have to completely disconnect and detach for a little while it seems to work out better for me yeah i'm noticing the long that's what I was thinking before that because of the intensity that is is in your nature that the long recovery is the is the thing for you and then those little ones you know running with the dog hiking etc but those long recoveries are really essential yeah I think it works have you ever read the orchid thief or seen that movie I, I, it resonates with me a little bit because there was a guy, I, you know, I can't remember the character name, but he was all about, uh, let's say, Belgian armoires. He was the expert on Belgian armoires in Florida, right? Everyone would come to him from around the world for three years because he knew the, the styles of wood carving and the mirrors and where they'd been lacquered and everything. And then he just woke up one day and he's, he's like, you know what? I hate Belgian armoires. <laughs> Never again. I, I'm 100% out. And then he became the orchid thief and he became the expert on orchids and he would steal you know, them from around in the middle of the night from out of the Everglades or whatever. And so maybe I'm like that, maybe it's binary. It's all on or it's hundred percent off. And even a couple of years ago, I tried to go off. I tried to have a reset year and it blew up in my face. I, I thought, okay, I'm getting a little burned out taking photos. I'm going to start an art gallery. So I won't be shooting as much. 
right? It'll be retail, something completely different. I moved for that year to San Diego with one of my best friends, Remy Haynes, the awesome photographer in, in uh, Encinitas. And, uh, and we opened this gallery and I thought, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm going to recharge. It's going to feel so refreshed. It was more work. Instead of working, you know, 105 hours a week, I worked 207 hours a week. Wow. Made almost no money, you know, just broke even for that year. Oh. It was a stress bomb. So that was not the right choice. Right. <laughs> but you've tried it and you allowed yourself to explore different paths, right? So that was an interesting learning experience for you. Yes. And, you know, I would say, too, to that point, I, I think that I have uh, and, you know, it's nice to have the luxury of having explored certain careers and had a certain amount of jobs so that you can step back and feel balanced about it. Right. Like if I I feel like in my own experience, if I hadn't tried to do some of these TV shows and then realized, oh, maybe that was not my favorite thing on the planet. That's not my bag. <clears throat> or if I hadn't had been able to have a you know photography business that survives, then you're, you're always going to wonder, you're going to have regret and you're going to feel bad that you didn't try. So I'm, I'm happy that I tried and, and got a little bit burned out. And then I'm able to, then, then in the stepping back, I can appreciate it, you know, taking a break from it for a year and a half. I can appreciate it and go back to it again with some positivity instead of always having wondered. I like having that full range of experience for sure. So how did this new adventure that you have been on for a number of months. Now you're on a little break, but then you're going on it again. How did that come about in your life? Yes. So this is, I will tell you, ladies, this is the best trip I have ever been on in my life. Hands down. I'm putting my hands down on the desk. Nothing has ever been better. And that is, you know, a big, having been to 70 plus countries, that is and all, the, all of the the people I traveled with, the jobs, this is, nothing has come to compare. And it's sort of, man, essentially what's happening is I'm driving a um, old Suzuki dirt bike from Arizona to Argentina. Scary, 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 scary. <laughs> My mom says, this is the worst thing you've ever done. This is the worst decision. I don't get it. No, she's actually very supportive of it now, but not loving you know, she insisted that I put three GPS trackers on my bike so she can check my location at all times. Yes. But um, but it's sort of, well, I was going to do it right before Corona hit. Again, it had been 12 or 13 years working and, you know, getting, getting to the point where I didn't need to advertise. I had enough clients coming in. I was doing more architecture, but also still travel and commercial stuff, magazine stuff. And it just was, again, I was getting burned out. And I, um, I was going to do it at the beginning of 2020. Is, is, that, is that the year? Yeah. And then Corona hit and the whole world stopped. And I was looking at other travelers that were on the road and they would get stuck at border towns. I, I read a lot of stories about people that got stuck in camper vans at border towns in Latin America and they couldn't leave the town. And border towns are usually the scrappiest, worst place on the planet, right? Every country. It's just not the prettiest city ever. Mm -hmm. And these people would be stuck, unfortunately, there for two or three months. They couldn't get a flight back to, you know, their home country. So I was, I was praising Buddha that I didn't, uh, you know, I hadn't started two months earlier. I wasn't stuck in Tijuana for, <laughs> for a while. But uh, so then Corona hit, the whole world stopped, and, and everything was was on hold. Um, so it's been so nice in the last year to have life slowly come back to normal. And after I did one. I did one test um, in the September of 2021. I moved a motorcycle from 
they had a, a job in France over to Tuscany. And I was like, okay, if I can get across this border, you know, France was very locked down at the point. Italy had all the same lock in France at that time. You couldn't um, go into a hotel, restaurant, museum. You had to show a QR code that you'd had vaccinations. And they were very rigid about it. And I had a hard time getting into restaurants. I was eating out of gas station vending machines that whole week because the QR code didn't come back to me within you know, three weeks. So I didn't have the code. In Italy, they had the same rules on the books and no one enforced any of it. It was complete chaos. Everything was open. Typical Italian cluster. So, uh, so I did that little test run and everything seemed fine. So I bought, I put out to the universe that I wanted a cheapo motorcycle that no one would steal. And I wanted to paint it to look like a pirate ship so that I was the scrappiest looking guy in town. And, uh, and the perfect bike manifested a, a nice guy in San Diego, sold it to me for three grand. I drove it back to Tucson. I painted it all up and uh, I started the trip about six months ago and I've been doing about six weeks on the bike, two weeks off. So I'll, I'll go about a thousand miles, 2000 miles. And then um, it's time to come back and play with my puppy for a couple of weeks. So he doesn't forget me, get a new tire on the back of the motorcycle. So I leave it at a little grandma and grandpa motorcycle shop. And then I fly out for two weeks. I fly back and I continue the next part of the route. Wow. So you fly back to the point where you left it and yes. then from there. Okay. Yes, exactly. So it's all a one-way trip, but um, I'm not doing it all. You know, some people have said, well, this doesn't really count because you're flying back in between. So that's not a drive to Argentina, <laughs> but it's the same bike, you know, it's just, it just, is. yeah, I'm having the chain adjusted and it actually works out really nice because after six weeks, sitting on a motorcycle banana seat, you're ready for a two-week break. Wow. I, I need to get a Brazilian butt lift somewhere like in Colombia so yes. that I have six inches of nerf back there. It'll be a yes. lot more comfortable. Yes, some padding. Absolutely. Yes. So oh my gosh. So marker now. Where is your marker now? So I just dropped the motorcycle in San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador. Okay. And so it's getting a new back tire and then, uh, yeah, chain adjustment. And I'll pick it up in about two weeks and continue through Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, to the edge of the Darien Gap in Panama. People don't realize there's no road that actually connects North America to South America. There's about 60 miles between Panama and Colombia. It's called the Darien Gap. And it's just, you can hike it, but there are, you know, bandits kind of in the mountains. It's not the safest place on the planet. And a lot of people that are immigrating from South America, you know, have to walk through that and they get robbed and it's super dangerous. So you have to um, ferry your bike around that stretch. You can go either on the Gulf of Mexico side to Cartagena, or you can go on the Pacific side, but I'm going to do the North side so I can reenact some scenes from Romancing the Stone in Cartagena, diving off the tower, you know, making my alligator boots. That's my plan. And how many months will that take? How long of a journey will the completion of this be? Well, I think the whole, I hate being cold, you know, and I've been caught in some rainstorms. I got caught in hurricane season in uh, Mexico Whoa. every day. So I don't want to be freezing. I don't want to be in Argentina when it's their winter because, and I'll be going through Patagonia and Chile and some of the high mountains, Peru, Machu Picchu. So I want to try to follow the sun. So if I get to the south part of Argentina in North American Christmas, that will be the heat of their summer. So I figure I'll get there by the end of this year. And then, don't tell my mom this part. Okay. Okay. But if I make it all the way down there and the bike survives and I survive, I'm going to put the motorcycle on a cargo container ship to South Africa 
And then I'm going to drive Africa, 2024, I'm going to drive Africa from South Africa up to Tuscany. That's my side. Oh, plan. my God. You are unbelievable. Like, what is it? Tell me, is it uh, your first taste of adventure that was so successful and fun? Is that what's propelling you and the countries that you've visited? Is it being outdoors? What is the ultimate driver? What's the thrill? What's the thrill? I'll tell you what the thrill is on this trip. That was more unexpected than I, because there was some fear. You know, I, I remember, I, I remember, distinctly the day crossing into Mexico. The, the north part of Mexico is one of the more dangerous parts of the entire trip, unfortunately. So the, Sonora, the, the Sonoran department in Mexico is, there's a lot of cartels, you know, it's the border region. There are cartels battling for control in Caborca. And so I, I drove the bike down to Douglas, Bisbee and Douglas, Arizona, and I crossed there Douglas to Agua Prieta. And I remember getting my Mexican, it was the morning I was gonna cross over. Spent the night in Tombstone the night before, had some tequila shots with a nice Mexican waitress in Tombstone, you know, the night before that was a nice send off with some friends. And then the next morning I was a little intimidated and I was getting um, my Mexican bike insurance. And the, the, the woman that was uh, setting me up with the insurance had behind her on her wall, a print, a, a knit print of Peru which was pretty unusual for a you know, Mexican border town. It was like Peruvian women with the cool fedoras and sort of the serapes, Peruvian mountains in the background. And I have the exact same print hanging in my house, it's different colors, but a similar knit. I'm like that's strange that I would see exactly the same. I'm like that's, that's a good sign. Yep. So I continued into Mexico and within an hour, all of that nervousness pretty much dispelled. I mean, the kind people crossing the border within five blocks and having, you know, an enchilada on the way, the kindest people there, asking about my bike, asking where I'm going. Every town after that, like there have been so few moments on this trip that I have been nervous since then. It was the anticipation before I crossed and, and the unknown, you know? And since I've been there, it's been gold. And every moment, the, the amazing thing about the trip, the best thing for me is that every moment is a new adventure and there's no plan. Well, I have two, I have two rules on this trip that make it, I think, magic. Number one, the plan is no plan. So every moment is a crossroads. Every time I pull up to a gas station, I know generally the direction I'm going. I'm going south, right? But I don't have any hard plans. I don't have to be in a certain city usually. And so I will, I always tip the gas station attendant. You can't pump your own gas in all of these countries I've been in so far in Central America. So, you know, you have a moment to speak to this stranger that you've never met before. And I always give them a little tip and I always ask them, Oh, what's the best road? Or, you know, should I have to? And they'll tell me, oh, there's a million potholes on this one, or there's a bunch of landslides, or there's more military checkpoints on this one, like avoid this, or there's cartel stuff. Down. They always give me the straight skinny, and I always take their recommendations. And so far, it's been 6,000 miles and it's worked out brilliantly. And rule number two on the trip is if someone recommends I do something, I, I do it. Unless it's a cartel guy that says, get into the trunk, and then I don't do it. <laughs> but I have met so many, you know, 98% of people on the planet, I think, are just kind and wonderful and want all the same things that we want, right? You know, shelter, heat, food, friends, family. There are 2%, maybe 0.2% crazy people that you want to, you know, avoid. But so I've met so many wonderful people on this trip, and they're so excited 
about the place they live in. They're proud about, oh, you got to go, you know, drive five minutes this way and see this waterfall. It's just so spectacular. Or go see the macaws at Copan Mayan ruins, you know, go to the back and there's all these wild macaws that you can, so many people are, are completely jazzed about the place that they live. And they're excited that someone else is coming to, to appreciate it. And they want to share that with you. So if I get a recommendation, I, I always do. So question. Yes. Do you have a camera? Do, are you documenting this? <laughs> you know, that's been the other wonderful part is this trip is completely non, non-work related. Yes. And I did bring, I tried, well, I'm on a motorcycle and I don't have pannier side boxes. So I wanted, That's to, what I wanted to ask you, like, how do you, and what do you carry your things? As little as possible. Cause I've had a few friends that have done this trip in big souped up BMW motorcycles that have the metal pannier boxes on the side. So you can take a ton of gear, but you're also a target, right? Yeah. For theft. And the bike weighs a thousand pounds literally a thousand pounds and so i wanted to have the lightest bike possible and be able to pull my bag off every night into the hotel with me so i only have a backpack two pairs of jeans four shirts and um a couple of tools with me so the, the lighter the better so on the first phase of the trip which was tijuana down to cabo san lucas a thousand miles through baja i had a little bit of camping gear and i brought a, a, the smallest uh, mirrorless Fujifilm camera that I could find. It was really light and it had a small zoom on it. And, uh, and I did a thousand miles and I didn't take one picture on it. <laughs> I only shot photos on my goofy telephone. And, you know, I, I noticed what I was, the only pressure I was putting on myself was to put a photo on Instagram every once in a while, you know? Thank you. Put- Thank you for that. Thank <laughs> you for that. <laughs> well, I didn't want the pressure to shoot stock photos, you know, because that was historically what I'd be doing is the highest resolution image on a, on a high-res camera so that I could sell it the perfect sunset, the perfect shot of the bridge or, you know, the donkey. I didn't want any of that pressure because it was becoming, I wasn't living in the moment. I was living through, oh, what is the client going to want or whatever. So this trip is just about selfies with me and dogs. And I, and I want to also say, I love what you said about your um, experience with the people on the planet, that 90% or 95% or 98% of the people that you meet are kind and are willing to help and are thrilled about what you're doing. I think that's really just important information. So when, you know, the documentation, the human story, and this is a a bit of it is, you know, we're privileged enough to listen to the story. It's a good story, you know, definitely a good story. Well, and also, and particularly since the country and the world has been so polarized and we see so much of that in in our sphere of vision, because of social media or the TV or the news, um, you sort of begin to lose your faith, your hope in humanity. And you kind of feel like, I don't know, this is ever going to be fixed. So what you're doing is so refreshing, so invigorating and so renewing. Um, I think just listening to your stories and reading your story will help people to grasp 
to go back to feeling like there is really good hope out there. Well, that's nice to hear, you know, I, that, uh, for me too, even being a seasoned traveler, I, there are so many stories of people that I've met on the trip that have been, you know, life affirming. Well, we all want the same things, right? It's just, we're all, everyone is a protagonist in their own movie, right? And so I've met so many people. Well, the most recent phase sticks in my mind. I was passing with my friend, Addie. She came and visited for a month through Guatemala and Honduras. And as you know, from the news, there are a ton of people that are walking up to the Mexican border from Guatemala and Honduras because the economy is kind of in shambles and it's dangerous. There are gangs and cartels there. And I, I've met so many people in restaurants or at the hotel or talking at the gas station or just walking that have said, oh, yeah, I've walked up to the border, you know, three times. And I, I you know, I made it through one time and I worked a little bit and then I sent money back home or I didn't make it across or I got deported and I got sent back to Guatemala and I just, you know, I live with my grandma and, you know, we don't have enough money. You can't survive here. You have to pay extortion money to the cartels in town. Everyone has to pay a percentage of their, you know, or, and if you don't, it's dangerous. You want your kids to grow up in a different place. I mean, you hear, you have so much empathy for people. When you watch the news, here's what I'd say. When you watch the news in America, right? All you hear are the negatives, right? You yeah. hear threat and fear and people are going to, you know, coming across the border. People are going to steal your jobs. You hear all these negative things that are completely, I mean, there are elements of truth to everything, but when you hear people's stories firsthand, you know, everybody just wants a better life for themselves. And we happen to hit the birth lottery and we just happen to be born into this country, you know, and there are a lot of people on the planet that were not quite as lucky. And so when you get a chance to hear their story and what they've been through and what it takes to survive each day, you have a lot more empathy for the rest of the world. And I think you have a lot less fear then too. I think that's a marvelous landing place. Um, really, we're excited about you actually made a physical path with uh, on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, ladies. I, I appreciate you being interested in it because I am I'm I'm completely jazzed about it. And it might be a book project of its own. You know, I might I've been doing voice memos. I'm trying not Excellent. to work, but the only thing I'm doing voice memos every night of the stories that really stand out each day, you know, oh. just for five or six minutes. So it's not lost, you know. It's not work. Right. It's that's true. Work. That's Storytelling true. is the oldest ritual in the book. And it's just really good not to perceive it as work because you're bubbling over. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's oh, true. Yeah. You're right. It's not work. It is storytelling. Totally. Yeah, yeah. It's, gonna, it's going to have a life of its own eventually. And it might not manifest for five or six years, but I want to, I, I, it's important for me to do these voice memos because I noticed I didn't do them for a few weeks. And things, you know, started to blur out and fade in my memory. Yes, I've got the I've got the route, right? I have the route on on GPS, so I can see all the cities I went to, and I will be able to come back later and write about the history or this Mayan ruin or whatever. But it's the people I met at the gas station mm. that gave me free, you know. Oh, take the, you know, whatever. They take the electrical tape, and then oh, come meet my son. He loves Italian soccer, and then you want to take a picture with this soccer shirt? He just watched Messi win the World Cup. Like those moments, I don't want to lose them. 
And voice carries so much. I mean, you as a visual artist is one thing, right? But the voice of the story, your enthusiasm, that whole thing, you wouldn't want to lose it. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to lose it. <laughs> I want to hear. I'm, I'm an audiophile. I'll, you know, I do a lot of listening and I do a lot of voice memos because that feels like it gives me more dimension sometimes to the memory. Oh, interesting. Have you used that for your writing? Yes. Too? Voice memos? Yeah, yeah. I've never tried that before. I, that's you know, a great idea. You know, there's a fun um, party game too, you guys. You might enjoy, Andrea. You have to do a voice memo. Well, actually, when you're doing Siri dictation into a text message, yeah. you have to speak with the thickest um, Scottish accent that you possibly can, you know, and just garbled. And then whatever Siri translates it as, you have to send it to your friend. Yes. Yes. I. <laughs> Yeah, and the thing is that, but you see, there's a bias, right? There's a curse word bias. <laughs> right, that's true. That's right. There's an equal game that you can do that's suggested text. So when you're texting, you know, it will give you three words at the bottom that it thinks is going to come next in your sentence. And you just have to keep hitting the suggested text word. And it makes the most amazing nonsense sentences. Oh. It's, oh, it's fantastic. Well, that's a little of entertainment for you along the way. Are there any other questions that we want to ask this voluptuous man? This voluptuous man who is a world traveler. Uh, no, I just want to be very cognizant of your time and feeling so happy and so grateful to have spent this time together and really feeling the energy of your life and also of your art and of your travels. Um, and it's a gift. You've been a gift to us in our life. So I just wanted to thank yeah, you. Yeah, we still that. use your pictures oh. in our propaganda. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Well, that was such a wonderful morning with you, ladies and Mark. And I love that, the again, the serendipity of running into you, BB, at the grocery store. This was I know. absolutely meant to be. So I know. we need to pop out for a proper burrito. You absolutely so. You know, though, when you, I want to leave you with one last thing and you, you Please. might have already been including this in the book, but I, Please. when you mentioned Crossroads, I keep thinking to the end of the movie of um, Castaway. Have you both seen Castaway? Yes. I love the end scene and it's, and it's serendipity too, right? They make it kind of open-ended, but the, the short, the Cliff Notes version, he has a FedEx package when he's on the island. And there's all these different FedEx packages. Some of them he opens and he makes tape out of, or, you know, rope out of the VHS tapes or whatever. But there's one FedEx package that has some wings painted on it. And he doesn't open that one up because that one gets him through the day because he says, I'm going to get home someday. I'm going to deliver this FedEx package, right? That one's sacred. So all the things happen and he gets back home and he meets his girlfriend and it's all the tumultuous chaos coming back to life. But the last part of the movie, he's going to deliver this FedEx package, right? So he's driving in a rental car or something. He's out in the middle of nowhere in Texas, I think. He goes to the door. He finds the address. Nobody answers the door. He leaves the FedEx package there. He drives away and he comes back to the crossroads. And it's a four cardinal direction point crossroads, right? And they do these circular shots of all the different ways. And he's like, oh, I can go any direction from here. And then the lady drives up in the truck and she flirts with him for a minute. Where are you going, cowboy? You know, be da do. And then... He's like, I kind of, I don't know. He's like, you know, discombobulated. She drives away and he sees on the back of the truck, she's got the two wings painted on the back of the truck. And then again, he can go any direction from that, from that moment, right? It's a cool, 
It's one of the ultimate crossroads scenes. Very sweet. We'll have to rewatch it. There, there's another good one at the end of Thun- Thunderheart. If you've ever seen Thunderheart, it's a little more obscure of a movie. Okay. Uh, I think it's like Val Kilmer, Graham Greene from about uh, 1991. And the... And the end of the movie, the even quicker version is he's leaving the, uh, he's, he's an FBI agent and he's a half Native American and he does this case. It's a pretty great movie on uh, one of the reservations out in the Dakotas by Rapid City. And he's leaving the Wounded Knee Monument and uh, he leaves Gra- Graham Greene. They have all this, this, this amazing like murder mystery adventure. And he comes up to the four lane, he's leaving the res. So it's kind of like, again, off the map, comes up to the four lane freeway and he's a changed man. He's got a dog in the truck. He's got a t- he was like this buttoned up FBI agent with like suits and, you know, buttoned up shirts, the whole movie long. He's in jeans. He's got his dog. He's in an old beater truck, comes up to the crossroads. And there's this long drone shot. Probably didn't have drones back then. It was like helicopter, long helicopter shot backing away from him at the crossroads. And then that's the end. Classic. Classic. You go any direction. Infinite, infinite opportunities. Yes. Yes. Absolutely we'll, so. We'll be following okay. you on Instagram. Two weeks from now is when you depart. Yes, I'll be. I'm doing Cajun Mardi Gras with some Argentinian friends this upcoming week, and then I'll be back in a few weeks to El Salvador. And are you on Facebook, Andrea? Because yes. uh, it's posted to Facebook yes. too. Yes. Yes. Well, much more to come. Lots more selfies with me and dogs all across Good. Latin America. We're looking forward to it very much. Thank you, ladies. This was a sheer delight. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank Good you. luck with Likewise. your new project. I'm excited to see it manifest. Over and out. This program is brought to you by Boom Talk Media. Our tiny books that we call Relieflets include Wisdom Within and Without, Hike the Path of Life, Stop to Breathe in Fresh Imagination and Reflect Deeply on Nature's Wisdom. You can find this guidebook on our website, boomtalkmedia.com, and on Amazon. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us at info at boomtalkmedia.com.